I was not scared. I was thrilled that I get to work on something this important. My name is Kevin Fryert. My 30-year career at Pfizer gave me the chance to learn about the many facets of drug discovery and development. When I retired, I started Salem Oaks to help patients, parents, and caregivers understand the world of biopharmaceutical R&D so that they can be more effective partners and shape the future of medicine. On Raising Rare, we are bringing you the story of a young father whose son has an ultra-rare disorder known as Sedegatian type bondial metaphysial dysplasia, or SSMD. Each episode, we will find out what is going on in the life of Sanath and his son Raghav. We will talk about Raghav's growth and development, ongoing and upcoming research, and the challenges and adventures that raising a child with a nearly unknown condition brings. Subscribe to the Raising Rare podcast to hear the story unfold. This week, let's focus on the research aspects of your journey. Being thrown into this cold must have been terrifying. How did you get started? I was thrilled, actually. I was not scared. I was thrilled that I get to work on something this important. I had, I had done a lot of jobs in my life. Uh, they've all been very interesting, but they've seldom been this important in my life. It's, it's a very fascinating problem to me. Um, so I was, I was just thrilled that I, I could get to work on it. Um, obviously, I was very naive because I didn't know how the path was going to be. I didn't know how tough it's going to be. I am still continuing to be naive and it's helping me out uh, keep my stress levels down. But I was thrilled to actually start on this, start on this journey. I think it's an attitude that you know sometimes I lose along the way and, and some, some, some weeks I feel super low. I lose the excitement that, you know, yes, as much as, as much as life is tough, as much as we are in a journey that we didn't want to be, if we can be a little bit positive and exciting and, and happy about it, um, our, our output and productivity is, is much higher. So when we got started, I started looking up w- about what this gene is. And as I mentioned before, I didn't know what a gene was. I still, I, I have some idea. I didn't know what a protein is. I still don't know what the parts of the cell are. It doesn't, you don't have to know any of these to actually find a treatment. That's the cool part. You just, you just talk about it at a high level. So I started reading you know, Wikipedia to understand what these things are. And actually, this is a good point. I did not read any bio, basic biology textbooks. That's been in, my, in the back of my mind to read some basic biology textbook for a long time. But in the hindsight, I think Wikipedia has been great. Because a biology textbook written, say, 15 years ago is a snapshot of inf- information at that point in time. But Wikipedia tells me who the latest world experts are on this condition because it, ref- it links to papers that were published last week. And you can't get that from a textbook. And Wikipedia is thorough and it's, it's authoritative. It's not wrong. So it's just as good uh, as a biology textbook, but in, in some sense, even better for the purposes of what we are up to. So I, I started there and then we had a few names that, you know, we were going to pursue. Like we had a few research researchers names that we were going to pursue. 
Uh, and these are the researchers that keep coming up in the top of the list when, when I search for GPX4 on, on Google Scholar. Google Scholar is a website that showcases all the research publications. Um, so it's a, it's a dedicated search engine for research publications. That, that name was, was always there in my mind and, and I just thought it was a fantastic problem for me to work on. It was fascinating. You took the challenges, you said thrilling. It's, it's a challenge, right? It's a problem to solve. And in our last episode, we were talking with, with Rami, your wife, and she mentioned your logical answers and the way you like to solve puzzles. So this makes perfect sense that you would be thrilled by the chance to, to look at such a difficult and important puzzle and figure out ways to solve it. And I love that you said you don't need to know all those details to find a cure. What you needed was the people who know those details and get them into conversation so that they can start to work together on finding that cure. As long as I can have a conversation with these people, that's good enough. So I don't come across as dumb. That's good enough. And in my, my rubric for how much I should know is if someone gives me a detail, let's say someone, a researcher tells me that we observed a protein to have this, this concentration or whatever, I should be able to ask the next question. As long as I can ask the next question, I'm good. And if I cannot, at any conversation, if I'm sort of like, you know, hitting a roadblock and not being able to ask the next question, which means I'll advance my knowledge a little bit more. And there's always that great question to ask a scientist who's given you a detailed piece of data is, so what does that mean? Why is that important? And it's always the outlet question. And it's not, it's not an outlet, it's more of a, an inroad to the next part of the conversation. So do you think the way you pulled together your scientific team, would you say that it was mostly through those papers and, and following the, the literature and, and Google Scholar, which is a great tool, or was it through personal connections or was it some sort of balance? I think it was mostly online. I, I didn't even know I'm supposed, to e I'm supposed to email these scientists. Like I didn't, I didn't know that. So when I got started, I Googled for some rare diseases and I found a couple of websites where other rare disease parents have done some similar work. So I reached out to them. I spoke with them over phone and all of them told me to read papers and find the authors and email them, cold email them. So I did it. And I started with a few. So my, my initial board, I wouldn't call it a board, my initial science team was probably two or three people. And then I, 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 that, that's how it was for a long time. Uh, and then I added more people later on based on the biology stack. The connections that I made in person, I haven't gone to any scientific conferences to make them. So most connections I made in person were to other rare disease communities, other, other rare disease parents that recommended more researchers to me. So what happens is when you start moving along this journey, you, you realize that most rare disease communities are trying to do the same thing. And so they have recommendations for great researchers that they've worked with, industry partners they've worked with, contract research organizations they've worked with. Um, so they have those recommendations and, and they forward that to me. So that's how I built my network after I built my community of rare disease advocates. Interesting. It, it's almost like you 
took the reflection of the of the team you needed from them. So they said, here's who we talked to. This is what we did. And you go, okay, let me translate that into the people I need and, and build that. Hmm. So the, the power of those connections led you to the right scientific connections. Once you've gathered this information, you know, how did you start to put it together? And, and what have you done to try to make sense of the little bits of, of, of knowledge that you were picking up? One of the things that I did very, very, very early on was to create a roadmap for therapy development. So when I, when I, when I went and spoke with these people, um, after I got the first couple of, after I spoke with the first couple of researchers, I, I had to not look dumb in front of the others. So I had to look as if I had a strategy that I was going with. And, and to be quite honest, I needed a strategy myself, right? It's not just about looking dumb or not. We needed a strategy to approach the therapy development. So I spent some time thinking through what are, what, what's the end goal and sort of working backwards from the end goal and come up with a roadmap um, that I wrote it up in a document. And, and that's the document that I used to circulate to everybody every time I met with them. Every email, I would have the roadmap document in there. So people would click, a, click into it and see the, the team that I've put together, the activities that I'm doing, and, and they'll be like, oh, wow, okay, so you, you know what you're doing. So I'll not give you the, the 101 advice, I'll give you the 201 advice, or I'll give you something more than what, what uh, you, know, you already know. And it also built a lot of credibility. It built, a credi- it built credibility very early on, and that helped me establish trust with the researchers. Um, if, if I don't have trust with the researchers, there's no way I can work with them. And, and I need to gain trust with them and they need to gain trust with me. Um, because, you know, as a team, that's why I like the word team rather than a board. A board is something where everybody is independent and they're coming together for a cause for a short period of time. But a team is where, yes, you are independent, but you are working as a part of a team on one focus and one mission. And, and you, you, you might sacrifice your personal gain for the team's benefit, which is how it, it actually works. Um, so I, you have to gain trust between people in the team. And it took me a while to gain people's trust. And the roadmap document was a, was a mechanism for me to do that. Started collecting a lot of the information in Google Docs. I would uh, share some of them on my Twitter feed um, publicly because I, I felt like there's nothing proprietary about any of these things. I'm just literally collecting pieces of information from, from the internet anyway. And some of those I've shared with shared those docs with everybody and, and people really find them useful. If, if I go open up one of those Google docs, I can still see people like reading it today. I don't know who they are. I don't, they're all anonymous, uh, but I can still see that people are actually reading the doc and they find it useful and they come back to it for reference and stuff like that. Uh, so that, that's how I've started collecting and organizing and sharing my information. So that seems like a fantastic resource for, for patients who are following your path. So where, where can they find those documents? And is there, is there an easy way to do that? There is no easy way to do that right now. Um, I had been meaning to create a, um, a web page um, on, my, on, on curegpx4.org, which links to all of these documents. Uh, I will do that. But before, before I do that, we can um, put the links directly in the show notes here uh, so people can click and, and get to it directly. It's just a bunch of Google Docs. But eventually, I want to publish them as, as blog posts or web pages or whatever. So it's out of the Google Docs and it's, it's in a more internet 
friendly, discoverable place. And my guess is that those documents are not static. It's a roadmap, but the roads keep growing. Is, is that true? It is in some sense, although I actually feel like the roadmap hasn't evolved significantly. The roadmap, I am now executing on the roadmap. So it's the details in the roadmap that keep changing, but the high level roadmap has still stayed, stayed the same. I recently learned this framework from somewhere, which is objective strategy and tactics. And it's a, it's a, it's a nice thinking framework that you can use to think about any problem and solve it. So my objective here is to treat my son. And I rephrase that objective as, if I can walk into a pharmacy today and get a pill and give it to my son, I would do that. If I cannot, I would do the next best activity that can get me to do that. So that's my strategy, which is um, working backwards from getting a pill into my son's mouth. And every activity that I do is prioritized according to the strategy. Based on the strategy, the tactics that I decided to employ is going through small molecules, drug repurposing. Small molecules are just a fancy way of saying this is a drug. Uh, almost all of the drugs are small molecules. If you're taking an insulin injection, that's not a small molecule. But if you're taking uh, ibuprofen, for example, or aspirin, that's a small molecule. Anything that you get in, in a pharmacy pretty much is a small molecule. So we decided to repurpose an existing available medication already out there because, yes, the medication for my son is not available in a pharmacy today, but there are quite a bit of medications that are there in the pharmacy and one of them could potentially help. And so we decided to focus on repurposing as the next best activity to find a treatment in the short term. The long term, there's, there's, there's a variety of technologies coming out such as gene therapy, ASOs, and other things, uh, might be better. We don't know yet. We don't know that yet, but it definitely seemed like the best approach to start with. And so in my roadmap, I clearly mentioned in the beginning that my goal is to find a treatment to slow down the disease progression by the end of 2020. So when I had that, and when I shared with, shared it with a lot of researchers and everybody, like, would, would say this is unrealistic, but I applaud you for, for, for bringing it out there. I still feel it's realistic. I don't think it's unrealistic by any means. This focus has helped us find uh, medications that we wouldn't find otherwise. Comment that it's unrealistic may be based on people's own mindset of, oh, well, you're going to have to find something new. You're going to have to... But to find something that actually slows the the progress of your son as we talked about in a previous episode that that's your focus that doesn't seem unrealistic to me we we all do things that slow the progression of our aging that slow the progression or or speed up the the recovery from a cold or or a fever or a broken bone um we find things that that do that and it opens up a whole world beyond small molecules. There's nutrition, there's therapies, there's uh, you know physical therapy, occupational therapy, those types of things. But then there is the small molecule world. And it's like, yes, there are things out there that may be helpful for a rare condition that no one's ever thought of before. And you actually talked about that you found many of these 
why is it that you found there were, there were so many things that might work? And what, what did you know about the disease? When I, when I communicated that my goal is to find a therapy by the end of 2020, almost everybody unanimously recommended that you should do what's called drug repurposing. The, the concept of drug repurposing is to take an existing drug available out there and use it for a different condition. So uh, ibuprofen is a painkiller, but it might work for something else for a completely unrelated reason. And it's very common in, in rare genetic conditions to, to repurpose drugs. Okay, so let's do drug, drug repurposing. How do you go about doing it? Uh, people unanimously recommended high-throughput drug screens. What are high-throughput drug screens? They are they're a testing technique wherein you can test hundreds of thousands of compounds all at once in, 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 a, in a cell model or a worm model or a fish model or whatever. Uh, and it, I, I got quotes for drug repurposing from a company and several other people, and it would cost around $150,000, dollars And it take six or eight months to do that. And I said to myself, if I were to realistically have a therapy by the end of 2020, I cannot rely on one shot. I need to have multiple shots at it. Like I need to have contingencies if they're failures, right? I, I need something that can give me two or three different drugs to try out before 2020. So we have a candidate that we work that works reliably well. And I said, you know, if if you're if you're going to do the high throughput screening for two hundred thousand dollars and screen every molecule out there. What is a more simpler and a more pragmatic way of doing it? Uh, can we do it cheaper? And that's where I decided to do a low throughput screening. And low throughput screening is just me searching on Google Scholar and PubMed for drugs that are related to this, to this gene and to oxidative stress, which is problems that happens in the gene that is faulty um, and stuff like that. Uh, and turns out there is quite a selection of drugs that we could be looking at. Um, and, and I wrote a document uh, and shared it on Twitter. I'll, I'll, it'll be in the show notes here as well. But there are six or seven different categories under which you could go looking for these drugs systematically. So it's not chaotic. Um, and under each category, there's, there's a very easy uh, algorithm to go find these drugs. You just look for a review paper that talks about these drugs and then you start collecting them and, and, and linking them back. But eventually I found 36 drugs that I could repurpose. 36 drugs. One of the things I want to roll back just a little bit to what you said, which is you found that in the GPX-4 pathway, that, that oxidative stress is where one of the, the factors that causes a lot of the, the downstream damage. And so for people who, who aren't scientists, what this means is that GPX-4 kind of sits at the beginning of a tree of different biologic pathways. And if there's something going wrong with GPX-4, those pathways will be altered as well. Each one of those pathways becomes what we call in the, the business a target that you could try to attenuate so that you can try to get it back to what normal would be. And you found 36 different drugs that somewhere in that tree of pathways makes it makes a difference on oxidative stress. There, what you've done in the business would be called rational drug design, but this would be rational drug design, the home version. Um, <laughs> because what you did is instead of just 
putting out, oh, well, let's try all molecules and see which one works and then work our way towards something. You said, let's see if there's already molecules that do what we need it to do out there. And you pick them off and you've identified them. And now your roadmap, uh, how, does, how does it treat those 36? Along the way, we figured out uh, a few of them could be very useful. So my son is on some of them, which are supplements already. So he is on vitamin E, CoQ10, N-acetylcysteine. These are supplements. N-acetylcysteine has definitely given him more energy than before. Like we can see a physical difference in him before and after NAC. And we are in the process of adding uh, a selenium supplement to him as well. Uh, because that's supposed to be beneficial. It's a double-edged sword, but we will keep it low and, and you know continue with it. I don't know how much of a physical difference selenium is going to give us. Uh, and we also identified experimental experimental drugs that we could potentially try. And we are in the process of working with a, a small biotech firm to see if they would be willing to give the experimental drug to us under what's called a compassionate use. So FDA has... The, the, has a regulation where if if a person is suffering from uh, a life-threatening or a debilitating condition, uh, then FDA would would be willing to take the risk of trying an experimental therapy on this person, as as long as the therapy has gone through you know the phase one safety test uh, of clinical trials. So this is a drug that we had identified. It had been reported to work against uh, loss of GPX4 in cellular models a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. The company is also willing to give the drug, so we are waiting on all the paperwork so we could potentially try it. We don't know how how well it's going to work, um, but it's something we could try on the kit. If you'd like to follow Raghav's story, please subscribe to Raising Rare 